If you have not heard yet, there's a new bonsai convention going down in the Midwest in 2024. It's going to be May 3rd through the 5th at the Gateway Convention Center in Collinsville, Illinois. It's put on by the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis. And I highly recommend you check this one out because they are doing everything right. I think that they are just doing a phenomenal job with the entire expo and convention. So to start off, they got six just incredible headliners. They have Bjorn Bjorholm of ASAN, Tyler Sherrod of Dogwood Studios, Andrew Robson of Rakuyo N, Maria Hadstick, Young Cho, and Maro Stemberger. So super high level guest artists. I'm very, very excited that they were able to line up those people. I don't think they could have done a better job with that. That is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they're doing $7,500 in cash prizes for the trees, the Kusumono, and the Suiseki Expo. They have $2,500 for the tree that wins best in show. We're currently calling for entries right now. So if you go to Bonsai Central, bonsai-central.com slash entries, you can enter your tree. Deadline is February 1st, 2024. So once again, bonsai-central.com slash entries. You can check that out. Uh, in addition to that, they have 14 plus workshops. They have 12 informal pop-up demos, two formal demos. They have dinner, which is gonna be included with the price of admission on Friday, Saturday. They have nine plus bonsai and kusumono lectures plus Q&A sessions. They have three professional roundtables, and they have over 15 awesome vendors all confirmed. I would definitely recommend you check out the site and look at the workshop material. I am pumped. I would literally buy every single juniper if I could for the workshop price. I think that they are not charging enough there. They have these awesome twisty junipers. I don't know where they got them or how, how they were able to obtain them, but I would buy all of them. Of course, they're saving them for the workshops. Uh, they have really great workshop material. A lot of times workshop material, I'm like, eh, it's all right. But this workshop material is looking very high level. So for more information, I would go to bonsai-central.com. You can learn all about the convention, and I am very proud to say that they are a sponsor for this episode. Thank you so much. Definitely check them out. To baby trees. Bonsai. It's almost like once you start doing it, I you almost have to. Like it, it, yeah. it's. He takes his hand and grabs his hat on top of his head while he's looking at it. The Black Pondo Podcast. You can ask me anything. I'll, I'll talk about whatever. <laughs> nice. Okay. Who's who's over there right now uh, in addition to yourself as apprentices? Uh, so as an apprentice, we only have... I'm going to ruin his last name. His name's Andre... I want to say Dojnovic. I, I can't pronounce his last name. He's from Slovakia. Uh, he is now 24 what was it maybe like july last year something like that i kind of posted on instagram that we were looking for a new apprentice and to be honest like he was the only 
contender that was like saying like, yeah, I'm ready to come like right now. And a lot of people like they're interested, but then like, you know, there's a lot of commitment and that kind of stuff. Like, so a lot of people are interested, but don't want to commit to five years and that sort of thing. And he was like, I'm, I'll do it. So, uh, he's here now. Uh, he's been here for a little bit more than a year. And then John Milton, who you were probably with him, uh, when you were here, he's still here, but he's in a, like an employee. He has a family here in Japan. Um, children white and he's living here in japan uh for about 10 years working at ichin so it's us three plus oyakata and there's uh there's a korean guy that will come from time to time just not as an apprentice but just to kind of learn bonsai a little bit and now there's a vietnamese guy also hong son and usan uh korean and vietnamese respectively um huh. They speak they speak okay English like I can kind of communicate with them both. Uh, of course, they both speak Japanese because they they live here in Japan. So like bonsai is kind of their newfound hobby. So that's why they're coming just to like, hang out and learn a little bit. It's a different different setup than like being an apprentice. So yeah, yeah. And then does does Martin does he come from time Martin. to time or? Uh, he is actually working for a different professional now his he's trying to live here in japan so i oh, got it yeah so he came back to Aichan and stayed here for a couple months until he kind of got his stuff sorted out to like go work and live independently from Aichan. so he's doing his thing now and yeah he finishes apprenticeship i want to like two years ago, I don't remember. I was I was with him for two years, and then he finished. I want to say it was two years ago that he finished. That would have been like twenty twenty or twenty night twenty twenty one, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Sweet, sweet. What's uh What's your work schedule like? Uh, eight a.m. to six p.m. And you know, I live here. Uh, I don't go home, so. So realistically, it's like, you know, if my wake up needs me to do some stuff, quote unquote, after hours, like I'm still here to work. And uh, that's like, that's the official work hours, right? Like those are the hours we have to work. And then after 6 p.m., we are free to work or to relax. So a lot of times, uh, you know, after work, I'll be in the workshop doing my own, my own trees. Or if I'm wiring a tree for a wake up to the... Um, like I want to work on like all night, I can do that. Um, so yeah, it's six days a week. We get one day off a week, which is uh, pretty fortunate compared to some other places. And even even at Ichan, prior to my apprentice, like I I have always had one day off a week since I became an apprentice. Uh, prior, say like John and Juan's time as an apprentice their days off were kind of sporadic never really know when you're getting a day off i would say it was probably once every two weeks at that time based on what they've told me um so like when i was living in america i a lot of my life i worked two jobs and i worked six days a week or more so for me like uh (laughs) sounds kind of dumb but like being an apprentice is not that difficult for me <laughs> like the work hours and everything like that like yeah i like the work and 
the hours are not really any different from what I'm accustomed to. And I'm at a good place to learn, and I, I like being here. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's a good thing. I'm not really a 40 hours a week kind of person, just in general. Like, I, I have to be doing something. I respect that. What are you doing on your days off? So I have a fiance, Leticia. She's great. And she's kept me sane for, uh, well, basically from the time that I met her. Um, I was pretty much single for like the first year and a half here in Japan, kind of just going crazy in my own little closed garden of a world. And, uh, or walled garden, I guess is what you say. But yeah, I mean, she's, she's great. She's helped me like, get my head sorted out and deal with a lot of like the different stresses of being here in Japan as an apprentice and all that kind of stuff. So I always go spend my time with her. Uh, I can, if I'm lucky, I can see her twice a week, but generally I see her like once a week. So that time is very important to me to spend with her. That's like my highlight, <laughs> my yeah. highlight of my week, but yeah. cool. Does she speak really, English? Yeah, yeah. She's Brazilian Japanese. She speaks Japanese, uh, Brazilian Portuguese, and English. English is her third language. Um, but, like, yeah, her English is perfect. She's a little bit shy to speak in front of other people and stuff like that. Uh, last year, we I was able to go on a vacation for the first time back to Florida. And she came with me and... She was shy to speak around all my friends and stuff like that, but her English is perfect. Um, her fa uh, family, her youngest sister is learning English in school, so she likes to chat with me. Um, her <laughs> middle sister can understand English, but she feels really shy to speak, so I can talk to her, and she like understands me, but we'll talk. And uh -huh. I study Portuguese a little bit. Um, I need to study cool. more because her parents, uh, they don't speak English. They speak Japanese and Portuguese. So for me, as dumb as it sounds, I didn't spend any time learning Japanese because like in my head, I'm always thinking like I'm going back to the States. And I'm not going to use it, but I do have a reason to learn Portuguese. So I feel more motivated, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But five years in Japan without Japanese language is not anything I'd recommend to anyone. So don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I can't imagine. I think it'd be, it'd be difficult not knowing the language over there. Like I, when I was over there, I was just getting lost on the subway and trying to oh, order yeah. things off the menu and just like, you know, just picking yeah. something and pointing because it was easier. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I basically interact with the world around me as if like I'm in, I'm just like an invisible NPC going through the world. Like I, I don't know. It's that's its own subject, but I don't know. Uh, not speaking Japanese, like it definitely can hold you back in Japan. Well, anywhere, any country, you don't speak the language, you're going to be held back to some degree, right? But yeah, I mean. I can learn here in Aichen and that's good. But let's say if I wanted to go outside of Aichen to learn something, uh, I, I definitely can't communicate what I'm, what I would like to know. You know what I mean? For sure. And of course, Does, like going to a restaurant or whatever, like I have to order very, the words that I use are very basic and simple and I sound like I'm dumb, but I don't really care anymore. Uh, 
does Mr. Tanaka speak with you in English or not really? Yeah. Yeah, almost cool. entirely. Cool. Um, he does speak in Japanese from time to time uh, to give like commands. Yeah. Um, but I understand some Japanese work. Stuff that's related to work, I understand really easily. I do understand some like normal conversation in Japanese. I just don't speak the language. Thing like you, of course, pick up a lot just from exposure and like understanding the context of the language. So I'm not entirely unable to speak Japanese, but I, I'm not conversational at any real level. Difficult language to learn, I think. Yeah, for English speakers, uh, I think it takes like 1,400 hours to learn the language. I mean, likewise for Japanese, they struggle to have good English pronunciation. So it, it's like, it's not a Latin based language, right? So of course it's going to be difficult. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, talk, going back to your fiance, I just wanted to say that just looking at pictures and, and talking with you and seeing the things that you post, I feel like you seem very happy and yeah. that makes me really happy. Yeah, that's my dog too. <laughs> <laughs> She's my dog, so, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm stoked for you, man. I'm super no, stoked. I, I have to say I'm extremely lucky, lucky uh, to have met someone uh, that like matches with me so well on the opposite side of the planet. Like it kind of doesn't make any sense, but super, super lucky, super appreciative of her. She's great. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Um, uh, cool. Well, uh, you want to, s- uh, I have some like bonsai specific stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, I can, I got plenty of time. Okay. Just, uh, any, if you got to leave, just cut me off. And, uh, I know I don't want to make Mr. Tanaka sure angry. Was, no, I made sure it was okay that I could have time to do this. So, and he knows you. He likes you. He thinks you're cool. So he's he's <laughs> cool with me doing this. Ah, um, very nice. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into the bonsai stuff. And if you feel like uh, you know anything's like a bit extraneous, I don't care if you edit it out. Um, hey, first, I was just curious. What do you guys do for pest and disease management? I like asking everybody this question. Uh, I mean, we spray. Um, we spray based on whatever we're dealing with, right? And mostly my way, I kept the, I mean, only him. He's making decisions what we're spraying and when we're spraying. Um, we have like a commercial orchard sprayer. It's like a gas powered orchard sprayer. It's like, I've also posted videos of this thing, but like it just blasts. It's pretty cool, but it's very high powered and like it's real. Use is like to be out in like a field, like spraying the tops of trees and that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, we have like a 200 liter tank that we have to fill up. Like usually it takes about one and a half tanks to do the whole garden. So when we spray, it's kind of like a three to four hour endeavor. So, you know, we have to pick the right time to do it. And primarily what we're dealing with is like spider mites, thrips, uh, I can't tell you like any specific fungus because I don't know. For sure. uh, Yeah. Yeah. We we do a lot of preventative spraying for fungus and bacterial disease. Um, And right time is just in the, like usually in the morning or really late when it's not windy. 
Yeah. Uh, windy. Probably it's better not to spray in the wind for health reasons, right? But like, if if it needs to be done, we're gonna do it regardless. Um, and yeah, because some sprays, especially oil-based sprays, can burn foliage in on like a hot day. It's better to try to do it in the cooler parts of the day, which is generally gonna be the morning. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's anything wrong with spraying in the later parts of the day, say like past three p.m. But personally, my feeling is like wet foliage overnight is like it's a breeding ground for yeah, it's a breeding ground for pests and disease. So I'd probably say like your best bet is always early morning rather than late after late evening or whatever. So we don't have like a very strict. Yeah, I think uh, the last thing I heard you say was just that we don't spray in the night. And that makes sense. I I never do either. I always do it first thing in the morning. Wake up, yeah. go spray, and then I jump in the shower and throw my clothes in the wash. Yeah, so uh, I do get can to shower okay? uh, after I... Yeah, I can hear you. I do shower after I spray, too, and wash my clothes. But we'll say all of my spraying that I did in Florida, I did it unprotected and definitely not advised. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit, I know we've kind of been going back and forth and you've posted a few times about uh, Sunshow, but would you fill fill people in on what is Sunshow? Okay, so it's pronounced Sunshow, but Sunshow is a rare variety of Japanese black pine that has a uh, very thick, short needle. So it almost looks like a succulent leaf which is kind of strange but it's just a rare variety that now in japan it's uh the most like sought after variety so like yeah it's just like a kind of cool rare variety of black pine it's i would say it's dwarf in nature typically you don't even have to decandle it because it just stays naturally tight so that's like a little bit appealing or some of its appeal is that it's just like easy to maintain uh maintain. So yeah, like I I've grafted one of uh a red pine that I'm kind of fifty fifty on with my way kata and uh I wanted to graft it with normal black pine, but he said like not put Sunsho on it because like it's the most rare, expensive variety. So like <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean I'm kind of iffy on it too like where i kind of feel like it's cool because it's unique but i also kind of feel like it doesn't look like black pine and i'm not sure if i actually like it all that much but uh yeah i mean it has its appeal i can understand that so so yeah Yeah, that's so cool i've i've never seen it i really appreciate you posting pictures of it and sending me uh, pictures of, of trees fully grafted over with it. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, I like it, but like I, I almost like it more up close than like on a tree. And I do, yeah. I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just used to looking at black pine and that's kind of like my standard. So I'm, I like that more, but uh, it is really, in, it's a very interesting variety. Do you know how long it's been popular in Japan? Uh, no, I don't. I think it's a relatively new variety. Um, 
I mean, relatively new, could be like 10 to 15 to 20 years here in Japan. Um, I don't know exactly for sure. Uh, I, I will say like a tree that's well refined and dense with Sunsho is, it does look good, but those trees are not common. Like, uh, because I mean, it's a rare variety. So like the, the rarity of it makes it kind of hard to find like these trees that have been developed with that leaf already. And, uh, the only times that I have seen like well-developed Sunsho is at auction, and they are being generally being bought by you know uh, foreign buyers and sending them out of Japan. So, so oh. yeah, I mean that's also going to play into the rarity of it. It's like they're they're leaving faster than they can grow them. Yeah, I wonder if they are as po- if they're maybe more popular with foreign buyers, and mainly are you talking about people from china yeah gotcha and do you think that maybe they're more they're really popular in china and that's what's stirring this whole thing up or are they also popular among japanese professionals uh i would say it's a bit of both but definitely the the demand for it is higher among like chinese buyers compared to Mm. like japanese professionals but interesting because there's a demand for it, of course, Japanese professionals are going to try and like create and uh, you know supply the demand, right? Yep, for sure. Tell me a little bit about. Well, there's there's other varieties that are kind of nice too. Um, I mean, we we don't have to get like deep into it because of course there's like tons of varieties of every species. But yeah, I mean, Sunsho is just like the the most sought after variety now. I wonder if any have been in Kokufu or any of the other big shows. You know, I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm sure I could look through some books and find out, but off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I feel like I haven't seen it, but I may have just not noticed that it was uh, sun, sun. How do you say it again? I'm sorry. <laughs> soon, like soon, soon show. Soon. soon show okay soon show uh yeah i feel like i i haven't seen soon show in any of the kokufu albums or anything like that but i may just need to look a little bit harder and, and it yeah. may just not be it may not have been around long enough to be in kokufu yet well i mean so. it's a really high standard to yeah it's a high standard to get a tree in so if 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 the tree is soon show but it's not like Kokufu level, it's not going to get in, right? So for sure, there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's any in Kokufu or not. I'd have to also look at like the probably like the past five years. If there's one in there, it's probably going to be in one of those books. So I can take a look. Yeah, sweet. Very nice. Very nice. All right, changing gears here. So I know that prior to going to Japan, you're really big into uh, a lot of the Florida natives and particularly sea hibiscus. I was curious, yeah. are, are you still really gung-ho about sea hibiscus and uh, do, you, do, you, do you have any uh, in Japan right now? Uh, I actually, my first year as an apprentice, I found one uh, for sale on like the 
Yahoo Auction in Japan is like the equivalent of eBay in America. So I found one on Yahoo Auction and I bought it and you know had it mail order. Um, but it's just too cold in here. After two years, like the winter protection that I could give it was just keeping inside of our workshop and like it froze inside of the workshop on the second year. So I I just couldn't keep it. Um but as far as tropicals go, like yeah, it's it's my favorite tropical, hands down. Um they're really fun to work with. They get super dense, super tight, they develop fast, they heal well, they get craggy bark. Like everything about good bonsai, like it it like meets the mark, you know? Um, Absolutely. So on that note, like Mike Lane has been doing some really awesome stuff with Sea Hibiscus. So, you know, you should uh, consider having him on sometime and shoot it. I was going to say shoot the shit with him, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I, if, uh, well, if slash when uh, I go back to the States, I want to be able to grow Sea Hibiscus no matter where I end up. Um, this uh, as like a species for me, it's kind of like a very fun thing to work with. So I, I definitely want to grow it more. Awesome. Did you collect them back then, or were they grown uh, from? I, I took a stuff? couple. Like no, I, I took a couple like branch cuttings, um, and I found like a pretty nice piece of material at a local nursery one time and. Just like put the effort into developing it into a shohin. And I took Sweet. cuttings from that tree and I developed uh, some pretty decent trunks from it um, in the short amount of time that I had with it before I came to Japan. Um, but yeah, I mean, in two or three years, you can develop something like two to three inches thick with movement and branches. So it's, it's good. It's fun. It's a fun species to work with. The variety that grows natively in Florida is not really the best variety uh eric weiger is now getting some from taiwan of like that highest leaf quality where it's like a very thin twig that's very dense easily and the leaf stays small easily where it's like the ones that you'd find in florida or in the like landscape trades they have a large leaf that's hard to keep a uniform uniform size um and there's some other varieties that are like circulating in florida that are like you can still make good trees with them but they're just like more difficult to manage which like uh having having the variety of uh different leaves is also fun in its own right because like every tree needs its own special special attention so i mean it keeps you busy right totally so are, are do in florida do they collect sea hibiscus trunks or is that not really? Uh, it seems like it. I, mean, I don't Should know be. what everyone is doing, but it seems like it's not really a thing. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, you can you can cut a log and root it if you really wanted to. Like if you couldn't get any roots, it's almost no problem. Um, I mean, that's also like why tropicals are fun. Like you just do absurd things with them. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's really a thing to collect trunks. Like, of course, people have, but nothing that, like, really stands out in my mind. And I know Eric Weiger has been field growing them for some time, and he's built some trunks that are, like, pretty nice. chunky. So. Sweet. Very cool. So, tell me about um, 
the uh, Taiwanese bonsai artists that you're interested in? Uh, yeah. I know. Uh, Min, Min Juan Lo. So, because I was living in Florida and doing tropicals, I always was in the mindset the highest level tropicals are being made in Taiwan, so I'm going to look to Taiwan for inspiration. And there's a Taiwanese bonsai artist named Min Chuan Lo who uh, I, I don't know if most people want to call it like bonsai. Maybe it's like something else, right? But uh, it's it's obviously bonsai, but like maybe it's like a different classification because it's Taiwanese, not Japanese. But um, the movement he puts into trees is very inspired by like Jap. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. It's by like Chinese calligraphy uh, to where line in line and movement is much more important in the design of the tree. And I don't know if you've ever seen his his trees or his book. He has a really good book. I don't know if there's an English edition or not, but I had it with, uh, I'm assuming it's Chinese characters, but I had that book and he's got 20-year progressions of trees that he's developed in that book. And I believe he's also a second-generation bonsai maker in Taiwan. So, yeah, he's really, really talented tropical bonsai maker. And actually, I don't remember what year, but I asked him if I could become his apprentice. And uh, at the time, he was doing a demonstration in Puerto Rico. And he told me, like, well, come to Puerto Rico and we can talk. And when I went there, he was just like, no, I can't take apprentices. It's like, uh-huh. I came all the way to Puerto Rico, just say no. Uh-huh. I mean, it was so cold like, going there, right? But uh, it was just kind of funny that it was, like, such a short conversation. <laughs> and, That's uh, rough. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's cool, though. And then... Props, props for doing that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, uh, it was a three-hour flight. It's not. It doesn't seem that far, but yeah, I was just like, well, I asked my boss, like, hey, can I take a vacation? And they're like, one. It's like I don't know, like two weeks from now. <laughs> and like, why? It's like I want to go to Puerto Rico. Like, why? It's like, There's this Taiwanese guy there, and I want to talk to him. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> like, oh man, uh, they thought you were absolutely. Oh yeah, bonkers. there's. Yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. They weren't got gotcha. entirely wrong, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after you told me about him previously, I, I started to look up his work. And uh, he has some really cool ficus, premna, sea hibiscus, pistachio, yeah. really interesting varieties. Get some insane ramification as well. Yeah. And uh, I like I like his stuff. It's different. It's not just like Japanese professional bonsai, but it's, it's, it's cool. I like it a lot. And I feel like Taiwanese bonsai is pretty high level. Generally speaking, pretty impressed with a lot Uh, of the way. Yeah. The way I like to think about Taiwanese bonsai. And I mean, this is not as an expert, like a definitely a no expert on Taiwanese bonsai, but the way I think of it is like Japanese technique and Chinese design Hmm, so you have like a you have the like high level execution of technique uh, and like a very whimsical Chinese 
creativity in the design. And I think that's like that's like my idea of what Taiwanese bonsai looks like. Um, I like that. I yeah, like that. and there's several other Taiwanese professionals. Uh, there's a guy, Cheng Cheng Kung. I'm yeah. probably saying his name wrong. But Is he he's the, made the some carving guy? Yeah, yeah. And he's made some great, like huge Taiwanese uh Taiwanese junipers that like they're all field grown, hand carved, and they look like Japanese Yamadori. It's great stuff. Oh, those things are so badass. Yeah. We we had a Taiwanese uh juniper here at Aichin um that might wake up the styled for a Kimbon article, actually. Oh cool. Um yeah, it, it's a huge tree. Like, uh, probably when it before he worked on it, it was probably like a solid eight foot wide tree. Like, wow. from the left branch to the right branch, definitely is like eight feet wide at least. Huge, huge wow. tree. Wow. Yeah. Field grown. Craziness. <laughs> Field grown. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I remember Boone had one of those Taiwanese junipers in his collection. That was, that was pretty nice, really twisty. Uh, and they're just so cool that they think, field grow those. Yeah. I think Russell imported, like, I want to say like four to six, I think it's less than 10. Okay. Uh, I know there's one in Florida still, or maybe it's still there. There was maybe two in Florida. Uh, there was one at Miami tropical bonsai. That Michael Haggard one worked on maybe like 2008 or 2012. Uh, um, I remember seeing that on his blog. Yeah, I think that tree has like it's gone with the wind. I don't think it exists anymore. Dude. Uh, yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, and I don't know where the other ones are, but there's yeah something like four to six of them in our country. Yeah. So it seems like. Somebody over in Taiwan just grew like a massive amounts of those things, probably like more than thirty years ago now. Probably started them. So, from what I understand, uh, well, there's more than one grower. Um, okay, but from what I understand, maybe the oldest ones are about like I'm gonna say between eighty to sixty years old. So they're not even like, of course, it's old, but like. When you consider, like, the age of Japanese bonsai, they're not that old in comparison, and they're huge, huge trees. So what, like, the Taiwanese have done in that amount of time is, like, it's insane. It's yeah. such high-level field growing that they've accomplished. And uh, the the carving work, I mean, I'm speaking in generalities, but the carving work is, like, so high-level. Uh, it's great. For sure. Yeah, I really like... When you pull the fiber, it just looks more natural than yeah. tool tool carving. So, um, big fan of that. G yeah, generally I, speaking, I completely agree. Like large trees, when they're tool carved, that that feeling of like the the machine tools, like it, that, it never goes away. So, I think on a large tree, like it's a pretty big mistake to carve it with tools. At least they do major carving work with tools. Um, Shokin, I don't think machines leave as obvious tool marks if you do a good job. Um, I think I think you can 
do more convincing work with tools on showing than you can on a big tree. Agree. Yeah. I, it's interesting how the size of the tree makes a difference there. You know, like for example, yeah. Shoheen, you can also get away with more fun, colorful pots compared with bigger yeah, trees. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like too much if you put them in, you know, too much color or a painted pot or something like that. I mean, certain painted pots work well, but they have to be more muted and less in your face. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, best I could say is it's like just because the tree is so small and cute, you kind of have this like playful nature to it, you know, even totally. with like a pine, it like a really fat shoheen pine is still like cute, cute compared to like a big Yamadori pine. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. What kind of uh, soil do you guys use at Ichian? Uh, we use a lot of river sand. Um, we have like one general mix. Okay. So it's river sand. And I think the river sand here is probably granite of some sort. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's super heavy. So I'm assuming it's granite. Um, so we use it in a pretty poor size. Uh, and the general mix is going to be like, it's going to be Akadama, sand, a little bit of uh, pumice, and then a splash of charcoal. So if it's a deciduous, we're going to use more Akadama and a small size of pumice with maybe a little bit of sand or no sand and always the charcoal. Um, and then on pines, we can do like eight parts of sand to one part of Akadama and one part of pumice uh, so that the mix is like very dry. And uh, I mean, sand is, it doesn't hold water. I mean, it holds like some amount of water, right? But it doesn't hold water. So you have to water more, but at the same time, trees can grow more vigorously in a drier mix. So, it seems a little counterintuitive, but like, yeah, sand sand is good for growing stronger. Pines seem to like being more dry than like constantly wet. So that's why we're heavy on the sand with them. Um, and then like choking, we're using the same kind of mix, but just a smaller particle size. Nice, nice. And just just to clarify, so when you say river sand or sand... You're talking basically like little pieces of, of granite, essentially. And they're the yeah, same, it's, same size. You, you sift out all the really fine... Like when I think sand, I think beach sand. So right. we're talking more like rock, um, like little rocks, right? Yeah, it's it's rock. It's like coarse rock. Like the what I'm calling sand is the same size as Akadama. Gotcha. So it's gotcha. the same size particle. But I mean, in Florida, I spent years looking for like quote-unquote river sand right and what i actually ended up finding was a like a coarse grit silica sand and it's like a hundred percent silica and it's different from what we're using here and i'm i'm pretty sure what we're using here is granite so i don't know if like that's what decom i've never used decomposed granite in the states 
Uh, yeah. So maybe that's what the same thing is. I don't. I don't know for sure. Florida, as you know, like it, there's no stone. It's just like crushed, crushed shell and sand. As like there's no bedrock. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, I've asked some people what the equivalent of river sand would be in the U.S. And I've heard decomposed granite. However, I kind of don't think that it's decomposed granite. Usually decomposed granite, what I think about, it's like it. There, there is some rock in it, but it's also like very powdery and like too fine. Mm. However, I've seen just crushed granite before sold in the U.S. And I think that's more along the lines of like what a river sand would be, more of a yeah. crushed granite without the the fines in it so i i have a feeling that it's <clears throat> i have a feeling that it's crushed granite um i don't know for sure like the word we use for it here is suna but suna, suna. just means sand so yeah it just means sand it's not very descriptive of like what the actual material is makes sense um i know it's a common yeah it, it's different from kiryu though kiryu is not river sand kiryu is like its own uh, I, I don't know, like rock or mineral, whatever. And I also don't know specifically what Kiryu is. I just know that it's something similar to like what we call river sand, but it is different. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Awesome. Um, what about fertilizer? Mostly chemical fertilizers in a tea bag? We use like, yeah, we use a palletized uh, organic fertilizer and sometimes. Well, it seems like lately we always put like a portion of chemical fertilizer into it to kind of give it like a little bit of a boost. And sometimes we mix bone meal into it also. Uh, but the organic fertilizer we're using, it's like a 332 or 331, something like that. Uh, but it's just like literally it's like a dollar a pound, something like that, or a dollar a kilo. Wow. whatever the That's... Japanese equivalent of that is like it's yeah it's just like a cheap fertilizer um nothing special so nice, me personally nice. I am an advocate of just getting a fertilizer that's cheap that you can afford to use a lot and like as long as it's an organic fertilizer and your trees are responding well to it like that's good I don't I don't really care like too much about like brands and all that kind of thing fair play man Awesome. Well, I think I uh, kind of only had maybe like one more question for you. Um, unless there's any other like tree type topics that you wanted to cover or any, anything you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah, I can I can talk about whatever. I mean, if you want to do another podcast some other time on something more specific and focused, we can even do that as far as like I'm concerned. Um, cool. So yeah, hit me, hit me with whatever. I got time. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe maybe I got a, two or three more for you then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, kind of a deep question. Uh, I'm I'm just curious. So living in Japan and becoming apprentice compared to when you were in Florida, like how have you changed as a person? Ooh, that is that is deep. Uh... <laughs> And that, that's a tough uh, one to just I would, hit you with. No, but I, I know that my personality has changed a lot. Um, I mean, 
it's kind of like whenever you go through adversity, you either sink or swim, right? So I think I've matured a lot. Definitely, I mean, not to get like too weird about it, but like definitely in my life, I've struggled with like some you know, depression and acting like an idiot, which maybe that's not a mental illness, but maybe being an idiot is. And I definitely drank too much and, you know, did other stuff that everyone does. But, you know, uh, being here, just focusing on my work and knowing that, like, it's my life. I've made these choices, so I either got to own it or, like, you know, shut up, right? So, um, I don't know. There's, more, there's a lot of self-accountability that you have to have while you're in Japan as an apprentice, especially as a foreign apprentice, because like if I back out now, like I've just wasted four years of my life for nothing. It's kind of how I think. So even like one year into it, I'm thinking that way. Like if I back out now, then like proven everybody that I didn't have what it takes to do this or whatever, or prove to myself I couldn't do it. So I don't know. I've I've had to do a lot of maturing that probably I should have done when. I was younger, but I wasn't thinking like an adult when I should have been thinking like an adult because, yeah, like I always worked a lot, right? Like I definitely had adult responsibilities, but I always found a way to uh, not act like an adult, I guess is a nice way to put it. I don't know. And then on the other end, like the culture, I had kind of reverse culture shock when I went back to Florida. But part of that is just like being so isolated as an apprentice for so long. Like, sounds weird to say, but like just regular interaction is like kind of like weird now because like, I don't interact with many people on a given day. Uh, definitely, there's been days here that like I don't speak at like at all, and then like I'm sitting in my room and I just have to make sure my voice still works. Um, <laughs> That's a trip. So. Yeah, I'm, there's there's a lot of small things that um, have changed about me that maybe I can't put into words very eloquently, but maybe people that know me will they'll have a sense for it. Uh, I mean, kind of sounds cheesy, but I'm definitely definitely trying to be a lot more understanding of other people and um, realizing you know we're not all perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe becoming becoming less judgmental and harsh and critical. Probably that's something that I've been working on a lot. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I am very impressed in speaking with you. And I don't feel like... Well, I feel like you, you're actually very good at speaking. And... <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, even <laughs> for me, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're very, very talented at communication. And I would ask you a question and I could just see the wheels turning in your mind. And then I feel like you can express what is in your mind. And I feel like I have a hard time doing that a lot of times. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like the exact same way, though. And I, when I like listen to your podcast and I hear you speak to me, I still feel like, you know, your wheels are turning and you're a good speaker. So I guess the feeling is mutual, man. Ah, well, thank uh, you I don't very think much. of myself as a good speaker. I do think that I try to communicate uh, very plainly and simply. And maybe that's 
that's all you're noticing that I don't have a great vocabulary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't have a very good vocabulary. <laughs> uh, but cool. All right. Well, uh, one more for you. So what, what in the next like uh, 15, 20 years, what would you like to see within U.S. bonsai? Bonsai in the States. Ooh. Yeah, More so I have some thoughts. I have thought actually a lot about this. Like I was saying, there's, there's a lot of days I don't even speak, but when I'm sitting there, think. I'm thinking. Yeah, there's a lot of time to think. So, I mean, I think American bonsai is a really good direction. I and mean, like you see a lot of great outdoor material being collected and developed by, you know, many people across the U.S. now. It's not only professionals that are like developing high-level material into high-level bonsai. Um, so, I think something that's really important that probably more important than anything else is just like thinking about longevity of your trees. Um, I know bonsai in the U.S. actually has a pretty long history that like uh there's a collection of trees like the Lars Anderson collection uh like I think it's Harvard some of those trees were imported into US into like the 1890s and early 1900s I know at the the Pacific Bonsai Museum is that the place out in Oregon with Aaron Packard I know they have a tree that like a momiji from like 1910 something along those lines so, like, bonsai in America has a very long history, but there's not many very old American bonsai. Like, there's a... John Naka must have had, you know, huge collection of trees. Some are alive, some aren't. And, you know, Ben Oki. In Florida, we had, like, Jim Smith, Joe Samuels. I can name the Florida people more easy, easily. easily. Um, but, for example, like, many of these pioneers of American bonsai, like, their trees didn't move on to that next generation or the majority of their trees and the majority of their work didn't continue on after them. So, I mean, just that in itself, making sure that like your trees are not just a single generation piece of material. I think that's like critical to elevate bonsai in America. And I mean, part of that is education. Part of that is like, you know, having more professionals, having more hobbyists, like it, it kind of encompasses everything. I think like everybody has to kind of, you know, make it happen themselves too, right? So having like a healthy bonsai market also helps that happen because like I know in Japan, it's pretty common that like somebody dies and then their trees die too because like they they didn't know how to sell them or they didn't have anyone to contact to move those trees to another garden or whatever. And I feel like, you know, the same can happen in America. Like you could spend your whole lifetime making these trees. Now you're old, you're weak and you're sick and maybe you can't water every day within a week. Like all of your, all of your trees could be dead. And I, I don't know if that's what's happened specifically in America with bonsai, but it seems like, a lot of a lot of really old trees just like don't exist. I know there's exceptions, so I'm not saying it's like uh you know they don't exist entirely. It's just like for the amount of history American bonsai has, I think there's 
a very evident lack of old trees. So I, I would hope that in the coming years like that uh, doesn't carry on. Like I hope that my trees when I die go to like whoever it may be. If I have uh, somebody to take on my nursery whenever I'm done with it, I hope they can carry on my work and I hope like everybody kind of thinks like that. Um, as far as like what I want to see, I want to see bonsai being developed uh, at a very high level. And I think like, we're really well onto our way of like that uh, being true. Like there is a lot of like very high level bonsai being made in America. Mm. So if we continue that in, I would like to see more growing happening in America, a lot more field growing and that sort of thing. Um, there's there's a handful, but there's not a lot. There's definitely a lot less of it than even Yamadori now, which is kind of seems like it would be the opposite. Like it's definitely the opposite in Japan. There's a lot more field grown material than collected material. Um, but I don't know, man. I think America's on a really good, like, good path. Seems like it's going up and up and up. It doesn't seem like it, you know, we're going flat or going down at all. Yeah, I, I think uh, we are on a good path. I think bonsai living and being passed on and becoming multi-generational trees in the States is extremely important. And I feel like the biggest part of that is people like you, people that have gone and done apprenticeships and really learned from Japanese professionals the way to keep bonsai thriving and brought that knowledge back to the States. I think that we keep seeing more and more of that and that information is being shared and passed along and, and yeah. taught. Yeah. And I think that uh, that's, that's really what is making American bullseye so bright. And so I guess just want to end this by saying thank you so much, Seth. Like you are absolutely awesome. I love following all your stuff. And you're also the future, you know, like you and all the other apprentices that, that go over and live a, a difficult life in Japan, you know, giving a lot of things up. Uh, you guys are the reason yeah. why... American bonsai is going to prosper and, and do so well. So thank you so I much, man. It, I, well, okay. I, first, I accept your comments. <laughs> like, no, thank, thank you. I appreciate you letting me come onto the podcast. Like, it's the first podcast I've done, and like, I really enjoy talking with you, and I really enjoy your work. So it's fun for me to like, get the chance to talk with you on this kind of platform. So thank you. And about. I don't think it's, you know, of course, like Japanese trained apprentices like you, you can bring back a lot to offer American bonsai, but there's a lot of like non-trained professionals that are doing like really good work in uh, pushing the art too. So yeah, I just wanted to say that there was, I had something, I lost it, but um yeah, yeah, I, I, it's whatever. I forgot. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of non-trained professionals as well, but uh, I do think that the level is, is being elevated and uh, yeah. it's fun to learn all these different 
techniques and see different schools of thought from different bonsai apprentices and non-apprentices. But really appreciate it, man. Would love to have you on again sometime. And uh, thank you so much, dude. Yeah, for sure. We just... No, thank you. And, you know, whenever our schedules match up again, uh, let's do it again. And uh, there's one one last thing. I remember what it was. I want to see more information and education being shared freely in American bonsai because I think I'm here in Japan and maybe, like, I'm I'm working for my education, right? It's not like I'm being handed it. But the amount of knowledge that I've gained from being here, like, it feels like it's just being freely given for, like, the benefit of bonsai internationally. That's how I interpret it. So, I, that's why all my, all my posts on Instagram, I try to make them educational so I can share some of my experience while I'm here. Because I, I know that not everyone's life experience will allow them to, like, come here and do this. So, I, I think it's important to, like, share knowledge and freely to elevate bonsai in general so yeah that's that's my final closing statement and i'm gonna stick to it solid love it man what's your instagram just so just in case anyone doesn't know so currently my instagram is seth.nelson.bonsai i had an instagram page that i accidentally deleted i lost eight years of content but you know it's whatever so that's a new Instagram page. I don't have as many followers as I used to and all that. So my reach isn't that great. So if anybody's listening, likes what I have to say, definitely follow it. Definitely tell everybody that, you know, they should follow me too. And and yeah, that's it. Um, it's also, I have a Facebook page too. A Facebook business page, not my personal page, but it's Seth Nelson Bonsai on Facebook as well. And the content's the same on both platforms. Sweet. You don't go by the uh, heartthrob name, name anymore, huh? That's old school. No, no, it's old school, but that's that's who I am on the inside. Man. I'm so heartthrob. <laughs> love it. Love it. I guess you can't be, uh, maybe you can't have that Instagram name anymore now that you're engaged. <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm supposed to be a professional, right? I'm just going to pretend to be a professional at least, but everybody knows I'm so heartthrob. That's, yeah, that's me. For sure. Um, For sure. (laughs) Cool, man. All right. All right. Thanks a lot.